So, hi Michael, this is part two of the uh, video uh, podcast, uh, which um, I started with uh, on my own to set out a more general perspective on the COVID-19 crisis and its effect on Africa and the Middle East. Uh, also set a little bit in the context of, uh, of our work together uh, for the Royal Academy of War Sciences in Sweden on Swedish and perspectives on European security, and also related it to the global call for a ceasefire in, uh, in the various conflicts uh, put out by the UN Secretary General Barty a month ago already, mm. uh, where many of the conflicts that he was referring to, of course, are in these regions that we are discussing now. And also referring uh, very uh, general terms to the report on the southern dimension that we together have produced and which we are now uh, going to update uh, in the summer uh, following what we know in addition about the uh, about the covid crisis effects and other developments so what i promised uh, our listeners and and uh, watch uh, viewers in the first video was that i would ask you to as a former swedish ambassador to turkey and also envoy to sudan and so on having followed these uh, regions for a very long time, to help us to situate uh, the, the, the potential impact of the, of the crisis uh, in relation to the other problems we already described in our report, uh, both in terms of war spilling over to Europe, in terms of flow security problems, both good and bad flows, we have an oil crisis going on and so forth, but more specifically related to some of the cases that we were referring to and uh, I will leave it to you to go through the the cases uh, and I will put in questions as we go along but it would be good and I will then later illustrate these with uh, references to the most important uh, data that you will be referring to so over to you Michael to start off oh thank you uh, when I listened to the uh, secretary general of the UN saying as he would as he should that uh, there should be a a general uh, halt to the conflicts of the world because of the uh, coronavirus problem. Uh, of course, my reflection then is, uh, since I've been around for, for a while, that uh, this uh, is a constant uh, uh, message from the UN headquarters, uh, the symbol of multilateralism, and uh, to less and less avail in recent days. So um, I'm... I am honestly afraid that uh, the words from uh, Mr. Guterres now will will not be heeded uh, uh, very much now uh, as late as his words have been and his predecessors' words have been heeded before. Because simply saying there should be no more wars uh, is not good enough in a world of realpolitik. But the fine, uh, and I welcome his words, but I don't expect much to happen as a result of that. So that's the first note of uh, realpolitik in a way. Uh, on the other hand, uh, there are some signs, as we have seen, and as you have pointed out also on various occasions, uh, of parties to a conflict at least trying to sort out things or put a halt to their conflicts uh, uh, facing the common enemy of a, of a pandemic uh, now have you seen such traits uh, uh, features in uh, yemen for example 
to some extent, uh, although not very seriously, uh, as far as I can tell, in uh, in Syria. Um, the world tends to be ticking on, and uh, the COVID-19 factor uh, seems to be a disrupting factor, adding to the other disrupting factors. So uh, it is... Um, uh, almost uh, always such that uh, the equilibriums creating the world are so vulnerable to disruptions and, and COVID clearly is one of them. Uh, you asked me to, um, to look into cases and uh, let me then start in Libya. Uh, as we remember uh, from when we worked on, the, on our report and whatever else, uh, Libya is a case, is, is an extraordinary case of uh, ambivalent and uh, and shaky international behavior, with many actors, increasing numbers of actors, being increasingly confused about uh, what are the achievable goals uh, on, on the part of uh, all of them. Um, what we have seen in uh, in the last year and everything one can say about Libya tends only to be exacerbated by the COVID factor. You had the uh, refugee aspects and the fear on the part of European countries, especially Italy and other southern European countries, of a flow of migrants coming via Libyan territory and Libya because of the instability generally of the country as a result of uh, developments after the fall of Gaddafi. Uh, by the way, now you see uh, one of the sons of Gaddafi somehow uh, emerging as a possible new leader when the health problems of Haftar B uh, factor, uh, which will be decisive. So it is only one of the ironic aspects of, of Libya. But um, uh, the the general chaos situation and the uh, futile efforts on the part of the UN to have a grip with supporters of the support of the main actors in the UN in the Security Council for a, for a multilateral peace plan to be working has clearly become uh, disrupted by 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 polarization between two parties. So out of chaos comes a bipolar situation and it hasn't been improved at all in recent months and as a result of the covid factor um, there is so much fear also of a connection between the covid factor and the refugee factor on the part of european perceptions so i haven't seen uh, any uh, improvement there but i have seen a lot of uh, uh, complicating developments further as a result of COVID and nothing so far uh, has been displayed to show that there is a spirit of cooperation under the common threat of, of, the, uh, of the coronavirus. Not yet. So if we move from Libya, uh, where of course uh, the big, biggest question is, uh, will in the end Russian uh, diplomatic su successes be the lasting feature of the developments there. Uh, Russia having sought the presence, the permanent presence uh, in North Africa for a long time and may be successful unless the US decides to act against it. 
so leaving Libya aside and then uh, moving to to uh, the case of uh, Eastern Mediterranean and Cyprus. There, I think that the trend, uh, the re most recent trend, uh, to some extent affected by the uh, coronavirus, is one of uh, dampening the conflict level. There is, under the uh, coronavirus threat, less activities in the oil and gas drilling uh, area. Uh, which in turn has somehow reduced the uh, acuteness of the Cyprus question and generally uh, the conflict between one grouping of countries, namely Israel, Egypt, Cyprus, Greece, as against Turkey and Turkey's interests, uh, Turkey with its long coast facing the Eastern Mediterranean, but with the festering Cyprus problem always being a hindrance. Uh, I have seen generally that under the coronavirus uh, problem, there has been a tendency for the parties to this particular conflict, the tendency for an emerging, for, a, for an acceler accelerating uh, problematique evolving there to be dampened by, by the corona factor. Um, generally because of uh, reduced uh, levels of activities in this area, somehow shelving the conflict to some extent. It can also be a fact, factor of the fact that Putin uh, and his uh, Russia and his plans in this region connected with his involvement in the Syria uh, crisis area uh, that these activities somehow are also dampened by or, or reduced by his own coronavirus problem, which is emerging fast. At the same time that Turkey has now evolved to a country, uh, the biggest corona case country in, in the world outside Western Europe and the US. Turkey having now 107,000 cases uh, fewer deaths than uh, other main corona countries, but still a huge number. So um, countries such as, uh, uh, such as France, such as Italy, of course, such as Russia and such as Turkey, somehow are preoccupied with their own coronavirus problem to make them preoccupied from being too activist on their foreign policy agendas. Is, is so maybe I can conclude there for it. Is lockdown actually then uh, preventing some of these conflicts to become further aggravated? Or? Yeah, in the sense that uh, it tends, uh, if you have, a, you have a coronavirus problem and you, you need to defend against it and you uh, take recourse to lockdowns, which in turn has enormous uh, economic consequences, so it tends, I mean, this sequence of events and sequence, if you like, of threats tends to preoccupy states from being very activist on their foreign policy agendas, I would say. Mm. But it's, uh, again, it's one of the things that where the jury is still out and we cannot uh, decide for sure. It can also, in, in other scenarios, uh, serve as an accelerator. You cannot say because it, it, it's determined by how states 
define their interests uh, in relation to those conflicts. For example, you can easily imagine that uh, even with the corona factor at play, things in Syria can, uh, can uh, accelerate uh, badly, depending on how it is played. But overall, and at present, I would say that the net outcome is one where every, everyone uh, or players realize that the coronavirus uh, can be a factor uh, making handling of the pre-existing problems practically impossible and therefore um, advise uh, uh, against acting other than with caution because, because of the degree of preoccupation with the virus uh, problem. If you take, for example, uh, Afghanistan, I uh, can imagine there, uh, although still we haven't seen the enormous uh, disruptive consequences of a major outbreak in countries such as Afghanistan, but with the levels of conflict there, and, and uh, you can imagine what, what harm uh, the coronavirus threat could be, uh, it's very, very difficult to foresee. But I can imagine that perhaps uh, uh, there also there can be one one a certain element of moderation on the part of, of main players on so the afghan issue uh, yeah. we, we don't know too much yet but we, what we heard is that uh, 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 many uh, afghans who are in iran uh, have left and gone back to afghanistan have been mm -hmm. more or less forced to go back and some of them most mm -hmm. likely are uh, are infected uh, and we have a very low uh, capacity for testing in Afghanistan. We have heard that the president himself has been in some sort of quarantine. Uh, mm -hmm. There is a general, uh, of course, uh, uh, lockdown, not only in, in, in terms of the virus, but also in political terms between the two uh, contenders for power in Afghanistan. So. It is indeed a very complex situation, and the question is whether the Americans would just leave things as they are and, and just forget about Afghanistan, even in this uh, aggravated situation. But mm. it could also, as you indicate, go the other way, that uh, everyone would focus on the crisis and follow the Secretary General's advice, uh, uh, lower down the tension now, let's come together and try to fight this. We don't know, simply, and it, mm. it's simply a very, very, upsetting thing that we know so little about the situation in countries like this. Yeah, one could perhaps there again uh, say on, on the note of realpolitik that uh, if the parties uh, would draw moderation conclusions from the situation, it may, it may not be so much because uh, the Secretary General says so, but that their perception of reality uh, compels them to do so. Mm. Because the, the message from the UN has always been one of, uh, of uh, appeals for peace and and, uh, yeah. and stability, so that's not uh, so much new. But you're right, and and uh, I am uh, generally um, afraid of the of the COVID nineteen factor providing another dis disruption. Uh, to the already very disrupted uh, global scene, uh, I have the I'm nourishing the hope that uh, maybe facing this uh, as facing the climate change factor will 
I mean, also in the in the very near future, will be a compelling factor for cooperation to such an extent that has been un, uh, unthinkable for uh, during the last uh, five six years. Mm. But you see, uh, in various ways, uh, the the way the the various challenges tend to connect. Uh, I'm referring now to, yeah, as you did also, the issue of mass migration. Um, I'm afraid that the COVID uh, threats now um, and the relative absence of uh, news, whether good or bad news from the mass migration side, uh, it's not so much that uh, anything has been solved or settled, it's just that uh, there is too little media attention to the uh, to the persisting remaining problems but uh, that have caused mass migration but you can imagine uh, if there is a, a covid factor added to the already tense uh, conditions uh, surrounding mass migration if there is fear for example in europe that all those persons that would need to and deserve to be allowed to enter into europe because they're situation in Libya is completely, it's uh, the very definition of unbearable. Uh, but if they are suspected to carry with them a coronavirus problem that could cause a second wave or something like that, it, is, it means um, desperation and irrationality to even uh, to, to unprecedented levels. Mm. So there is a big threat which exemplifies, I think, and I think you hinted uh, to that, Asherik, that the, the very notion of travel exist, uh, to be, uh, to be, for example, from, from European countries to be present in, the, for example, African countries to do uh, development project works, etc., etc., and for that matter, also tourism. Mm. Uh, on the one hand, and uh, migration, Gastarbeiter, uh, uh, um, migration, asylum cases, etc., etc. All these flows in both directions can be suspected of becoming very negatively uh, affected and also very much complicated by a corona factor if that factor becomes a permanent uh, feature in international relations. I mean, we have an acute crisis now, uh, but most uh, experts tend to think that whatever happens, and at least before we have a vaccine, we will have to live with the corona factor, uh, with the, uh, balancing the various policy goals of health protection and economic protection somehow simultaneously. You see in the US now where some states have started to open up, uh, but uh, taking enormous risks uh, of it. So having to live with the corona factor uh, for a long time still, at least, I, as uh, I said. Can I interject on that? I mean, the, yeah. the latest uh, analysis I saw from an expert who has introduced the smallpox uh, vaccine and things like that, is that mm -hmm. we are talking about a minimum period of 18 to 24 months before mm. the vaccine, uh, an eventual vaccine is effectively administered yeah. to, to, to yeah. one population. So it's an mm. enormously long period. Yeah. And we are also face the real risk that even if and when that happens, uh, you could say it's, it's, it's unbelievable that it should have to take so long time, but we have to accept uh, facts here. But there could be a new 
a p- pandemic uh, following on the coronavirus now. Um, most experts seem to think that this is, uh, the world has become so vulnerable to all sorts of pandemic threats, and we have seen several in, in the last uh, 10, 15 years. So um, uh, this would indicate that the facing the risk of pandemics will be one, uh, one rather permanent feature of international re- relations, yeah. which uh, will force upon itself uh, adaption to these realities. And uh, in that you have also uh, to uh, somehow build in uh, some kind of new rationality to international relations, uh, having made such adaptions, working more with the digital means, communicate more, uh, sending money instead of personnel, uh, and and what about tourism? We don't know that uh, yet. But I mean, the whole uh, economic, uh, the economics of uh, globalization, in a way, will at least have to adapt. Yeah. And uh, of course, you and I have no clue what what will come out of this because no one really knows. No, but one one can assume that when it comes to development aid, for instance, and various types of interventions uh, in in outside Europe there will be a great deal of hesitation and people will be worried that things cannot be properly audited and controlled. Uh, uh, and this also probably goes for commercial transactions, that you are not able on site, so to say, to, to control that things are being produced in other countries, actually fulfill the standards that you have asked for, etc. So I think this is going to raise questions which might slow down international cooperation to a considerable extent. Uh, What we didn't talk about so much uh, earlier, uh, but which is also a new factor is of course the oil price as well. And uh, how how do you see the combination of the COVID-19 and particularly on effect on Iran, but also now on Iraq, together with uh, the problem of the oil price situation? To what extent can one say that, that this is an some people have said in the in the media that this is an existential threat to Iraq as a nation even that uh, to have mm. they are so mm. enormously dependent on the oil yeah. Yeah. How, how do you see this um, well I see this as uh, enormous importance because the two things uh, tend to coincide and reinforce uh, reinforce each other uh, the co the covid Anti-COVID measures uh, uh, under the conditions of uncertainty and unpredictability, as we have seen, and with the enormous uh, unpredictability of of, uh, developments in the U.S., for example, and then you add uh, then you add the oil price thing, and low price is is good for uh, in the consumer end, perhaps, but it is generally disruptive to the to the international economic system. We have our neighboring Norway, uh, a welfare state in the in the Northern Europe uh, with all the, um, all the advantages of a, any country historically. But it is affected enormously. I saw in yesterday's newspaper an article uh, about how, how the oil price plus the COVID things are affecting Nor- Norway's economy. Uh, we, of course, as neighbors, hope to be able to give a helping hand or cooperate with Norway in order to help us both 
survive uh, or, uh, or, or live through this, but even a country like Norway is affected. And if you compare that to Iraq, for example, uh, Iraq is uh, almost entirely uh, dependent on oil income for its the functioning of the state. Um, I think that the millions of state employee, employees uh, that Iraq needs in, in order both to try to re, uh, recover from all its, its disasters from 2003 and onwards, or before, if you, if you include the Saddam Hussein time and its disasters, and to think about the oil income uh, being the sole financing uh, source of uh, an army of state employees which are needed in order to rebuild the country and f continue to fight the IS, etc., etc. So I don't see uh, at all how uh, Iraq can survive as a state unless this is changed or unless, of course, it is heavily supported by some outside source. Uh, multilaterally through the IMF or whatever, or bilaterally in its cooperation with Iran or the US, uh, given its balancing. But it's not, uh, it's, it's not just Iraq, but it's mainly Iraq. Uh, but uh, all those countries that are dependent to, uh, to a high degree on their oil income, uh, Gulf states, uh, Venezuela, uh, all those countries, uh, uh, Libya, uh, but uh, uh, the f and the function uh, of the oil price to on conflicts uh, there there I'm a little bit unsure how to see it because take Libya for example the fact that the oil price is so low that the international demand for and competition about the Libyan oil resources that are somehow being blocked now by by conflict. Uh, how how does that work? Uh, does the low price mean that the the reduced demand means that uh, the oil factor is less of a driver of conflict in Libya? Uh, it, it's hard to decide. It is so linked. But the oil price factor, also by uh, frankly uh, about Russia, uh, oil and gas uh, resources on which Putin, the president, is so dependent. Um, you can see it play out in uh, reduced uh, um, policy energy uh, levels of Russia in the Eastern Mediterranean, as we said before. So it, it is a disruptor. Uh, it is in combination with COVID. Uh, it works uh, as a, a great complicator of, uh, of the world scene generally. So one cannot underestimate, but see that in combination with the economic impact of COVID. Yeah. Uh, so one and a half more comments for <laughs> I propose for this podcast. Uh, yeah. One about uh, Israel and the Gaza Strip and Hamas, and which I think is important. And another, we can't say much about North Korea, but one can guess mm. that mm. there may be problems also there related to COVID that have led to the speculations that we are talking about, uh, we've seen in the media last days. Maybe you want to say one, a few words about each topic. Yeah, well, about North Korea, I'm, I'm of course curious uh, about the health of the of the leader. There have been reporting, as we have seen, uh, it's unclear uh, what happens there. But if COVID uh, 
becomes a major uh, factor in North Korea. Um, it is. Uh, Could he be in North quarantine? Yeah, sorry. Could he be in quarantine? Could that he be a reason? Could be. I, I I don't know the answer to that. Um, I'm just a little bit nervous. Yeah. About uh, how uh, fragile, politically fragile country like North Korea, because its system is so vulnerable to any change, and it needs uh, for survival to to maintain a level of repression that is almost. Uh, almost uncomparable. Uh, un un Maybe the sister uh, is biding her time uh, in order to be the replacement uh, we'll see and she seems to be a smart lady but I don't know that. About uh, Israel, yes Israel has its uh, uh, problems uh, from the election and the emergency government that has just been formed and the annexation policies that it seems embarked upon uh, which will be a, a, an enormous complicator of uh, any settlement of the overall Israel-Palestinian issue. Uh, and then you have Hamas in Gaza and the enormous vulnerability uh, to, uh, because uh, Gaza is one of the most densely populated areas in, in the world, and all the risks uh, there. It's hard to see how all this will play out, but I see so much instability potential from the fragile uh, uh, political solutions. There is no natural, uh, even though Israel is a democracy in the, the formal sense, but trends are uh, in the direction of more and more complicated politics and therefore difficulties in, in, in creating national stability. and. The Palestinian issue is so far from any kind of solution right now, but it can be triggered. There, there are two triggers here. One is if there is open warfare between Israel and Hezbollah in Lebanon, and whether there is uh, the things things in uh, Gaza will go out of hand, perhaps as a, re a result of the COVID factor. And then we haven't even spoken about uh, the authoritarian tendencies which are obviously mm. promoted by the COVID uh, across the continents here, uh, not only in the mm, Western yeah. world, but, uh, but uh, indeed also in Africa. And uh, uh, I, what I'm worried about now is, uh, is not least, uh, since I'm also active as an NGO myself, uh, you know, in, in place organizations such, such as Safer World. So the traditional advocacy that you would expect from these uh, organizations uh, um, like Amnesty and all these uh, will be that, uh, you know, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, counteract this authoritarian uh, tendencies, let's, uh, let's focus mm -hmm. on more governance, less corruption and, and uh, uh, more conflict sensitivity and what have you. The, mm -hmm. the, the advocacy is well known and will be only more pronounced given the, the, the discussion around COVID-19. But at the same time, what we see obviously is a less and less receptivity on the part of Western governments to support such advocacy. And I, I really am worried about whether there at all will be money left in the aid budgets uh, from Western states to support NGOs that, uh, that promote these kind of messages because uh, it's probably not going to be seen as being the first priority on the part of, uh, of governments in, 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 in our own countries. 
given the dire economic uh, difficulties that, uh, that uh, they face. Uh, uh, we already now know, for instance, that in the EU, uh, there have been uh, instructions going out, going out to various uh, units in the, in the various uh, uh, directorate generals in the commission and so on, try to find money to liberate for, for more urgent uh, purposes in the current crisis. This is nothing new. It always happens in a crisis in the EU. But uh, one can only imagine what, what funds will be found. Uh, what, I, I have my, I have a sort of a, a, a feeling that is what is going to be seen as unessential here are things that are actually very, very important from the perspective of governance, development, liberty, freedom, and what have you. Mm. Coming back to Henry Kissinger's call for the, what we have talked about in earlier videos about the end, potential end of multilateralism, the end threat to the liberal democratic world order. There again, uh, there are links here which are very, very ominous. Mm. Any yeah. final words from you? Uh, only to add to this point that what we have to realize is uh, the enormous uh, impact of a situation where all countries are affected by this same uh, factor in addition to uh, many other problems. This means that there is no, uh, there is no uh, safe part that can afford to save the uh, unsafe parts uh, in a sort of a uh, give and take. All countries are affected. Uh, and um, take, for example, the case of Turkey. Uh, it is suffering, it was suffering economically uh, even before. Now its uh, tourism industry is affected. Uh, of course, uh, maybe there will be no tourism at all uh, this year. This will mean a loss of $35 billion uh, worth of tourism. Uh, other countries, the, uh, the export countries of Turkey are being affected also, therefore there is a lack of uh, or, a, or a plummeting demand affecting Turkish uh, uh, exports. Um, and the same, same applies to all countries, that uh, there, is no, there is no fixed ground where to put your feet, but all, all, uh, all, all countries, all players are affected. This makes what we are facing now so profound. And this in turn um, creates a worldwide uh, temptation to look for crisis solutions, even crisis political solutions, meaning a, a threat to liberal democracy, because liberal democracy somehow thrives in periods of, of calm and, and uh, financed generosity. But now we are dealing with crisis situations uh, of an existential nature. So I'm worried there also that uh, the lead from Orban and others, Erdogan and others, will, and Trump to some extent, we have after all elections in the US and uh, no one knows, uh, as Roger Cohen, for example, wrote in yesterday's uh, New York Times, uh, what kinds of uh, perils are there for the U.S. democracy as well, its special uh, mechanisms uh, that have not been devised in order to deal with what you see now uh, and all the e negative spirals that we're seeing. So uh, great concern for worry and a lot of impact.
Yeah, and, uh, and the purpose of these videos, of course, as we have gone through now the multilateral dimension, we've gone through the Russian uh, aspects, we've done now looked into the southern dimension, all in relation to the COVID-19 crisis, is of course in the first place to draw attention to these problems. Because that's the first necessary condition for action, that people are actually aware of it. Uh, currently, one has the feeling that so many people are out there trying to calm the perspectives try to say that we are going to go through this, it's going to go away and so on. Uh, but uh, I think that there is a need for sustained attention to this and uh, also to the follow-on action necessary. And only on that basis can, even in a realistic world that you were referring to before, only in such a situation will there be enough feeling or perception of joint interest in order to, to tackle these global threats and indeed European and indeed Swedish threats. So let's come back to this. Thanks a lot, Michael.